0: In addition to the many portrayals of Jesus at the cinema, there have also been a handful of TV series which have covered his life. The most famous of these is, of course, Franco Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth. Zeffirelli's film was not the first to use that particular title. In fact, it was not even the first TV programme to do so. Back in 1956, the BBC filmed a programme called Jesus of Nazareth, from a script by Joy Harrington. Thirteen years later, the BBC wrote it again, broadcasting Dennis Potter's controversial play Son of Man. But that was almost 40 years ago, so the, the announcement that the BBC would be making a new drama about Jesus was long overdue, particularly given the BBC's excellent reputation for period pieces. Of course, from the moment that former BBC controller Peter Fincham announced his intention to make a film about Jesus' death, there was no doubt it would look the part. Morocco double for the first century Palestine and its dusty, claustrophobic streets captured some of the atmosphere of first century Jerusalem in the middle of the Passover. But building incredible drama was about far more than just getting the look of the time right. The publicity from the Passion was at pains to stress how important it is to tell the story in context and, from early on, it is clear that this is no false boast. We start by joining a group of Jewish peasants on their way to Jerusalem. We're about to witness a scene we've seen many times before – Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. But this time the significance of that particular gate and that particular mode of transport becomes clear – Jesus is making a symbolic declaration about who he is. Anyone familiar with the prophets would get this right away. One such person is the Jewish high priest Caiaphas. But this is not the nasty man in the big hat that we've come to expect. This is a family man with an almost impossible job at the most difficult point in the year. Caught between the most powerful empire on earth and his own angry and volatile people, he has to keep the peace or Rome will come down on Judea like a ton of bricks. His concern at Jesus' self-declaration is not only understandable, but rooted in his desire to protect his people. The third major character in this story is Pontius Pilate. Pilate has come down to Jerusalem especially for the Passover, desperately hoping to get it over and done with so he can get back home to Caesarea. He's not looking for trouble either, so he's quick to stamp out any sort of disturbance as quickly as possible. That said, he doesn't want to get pushed around by the temple authorities and is keen to remind everyone that he is in charge. There's a great scene where the crowd that the temple guard has rounded up are calling for Jesus to be crucified, whilst his wife begs him to let Jesus live. The pressure that Pilate is under combines with his own character foibles and for once it feels like the kind of decision that could have been made. Nesbitt adds steel to his character by using his natural Ulster accent. It's a smart move, which brings to mind another region caught in the midst of religious and political turmoil. One of the real strengths of the passion is the way it moves between these three stories. Obviously much of it is fictional, although certainly based in historical reality but introducing these backgrounds early on enables the action to flow more freely as things heat up. Frank D.C.'s script cleverly picks out the little details from the Gospels and uses them not only to explain the drama, but also to create it. The other major strength of the writing is the way in which it breathes new life into some of Jesus' best-known sayings. As with The Last Temptation of Christ before it, the Passion rephrases classic lines, enabling us to hear them again as if for the first time. They sound like things someone might actually say, rather than something from a holy book. Not everything is quite successful, however, and the scenes where Jesus and his followers nurse the sick and dying don't quite come off. Some have criticised the programme for not showing any miracles, but that isn't quite it. Not only does such a criticism ignore the portrayal of the resurrection, it also overlooks the fact that there were very few miracles recorded during that particular week in Jesus' life. No, the problem lies elsewhere, it's somehow just a little too bland. These scenes aside, Joseph Moore turns in a fantastic performance of Jesus, perhaps the best yet. Underneath his relaxed appearance is a steely determination, and he delivers his religious and social critiques with a twinkle in his eye. He's not classically good-looking, but nevertheless has an interesting and appealing face. Moreover, it's a very physical performance from Moore, who fills the screen and grabs our attention in every scene he features in. But it was the ending of the film that caused the most discussion. In contrast to the publicity for most Jesus films, there were no stills or clips which really showed Jesus on the cross. The day the show started, the British paper The Sunday Telegraph revealed that Jesus would not be crucified in the classic position, but that his forearms would be at right angles to the cross piece. Given that there was no set way of carrying out crucifixions, indeed Josephus specifically notes that the Romans used a variety of different positions then it's interesting to see the programme try something different. Altering such an iconic image made me, at least, see things in a fresh light. This crucifixion was also sparsely attended. There were no jostling crowds affirming at least Jesus' importance. Instead, there was something very depressing about the way Jesus appeared to be almost utterly deserted, dying a nobody on a Roman cross. Furthermore, the crucifixion episode ended right there leaving the audience to mull over this sombre moment for a few days before getting to the Easter Sunday episode. We can never fully appreciate the bleakness of that first Good Friday, but this was perhaps the closest we have come yet. The Easter Sunday episode also created something of a talking point. There's going to be spoilers here, so if you haven't seen it and don't want the ending ruined, then switch off now. When Mary returns to an empty tomb, she meets a man who is not the face of Jesus we met earlier yet she somehow recognises him as Jesus. It wasn't Jesus, but she was. She desperately tries to explain to the confused disciples. Shortly afterwards, two of them have a similar experience. Eventually, Joseph Maul appears again, although generally in point of view shots or in other ways that could be explained as being somehow in the disciple's head. What's brilliant about this approach is that it portrays the evidence to be as ambiguous as it is in reality. The first people to see Jesus didn't recognise him. Not everyone in Jerusalem at that time did suddenly start believing that Jesus had been resurrected. Like the rest of the programme, the ending leaves believers and unbelievers feeling they've been fairly treated and giving those in the middle something to think about. And by working hard to get the history right, as well as crafting a series that is both dramatically and theologically interesting, The Passion should become one of those Jesus films that continues to be discussed as one that informs and questions as well as entertains. Thanks for listening. Next month I'll be looking at Godspell.